Welcome to the New Vision Podcast. New Vision, New Vision, covering the whole world. In 2020, a New Vision undercover journalist traveled to United Arab Emirates to investigate the realities of girls traveling to work as maids in Dubai. This time, New Vision got another undercover journalist to go through a licensed company and find out if regulations apply. The project, which took more than a year, reveals harrowing experiences of girls in detention camps in the center of Kampala, unacceptable mistreatment, violation of human rights, corruption, sex and drugs are going on under the nose of civil leaders and security organizations. We now bring you this series. Download the podcast episodes on Vision Digital Experience app on Play Store and App Store. Episode 2 Richard, who was given to us as the in-charge of our recruitment for Cheo in Saudi Arabia, introduced us to a man called Mutumba. Mutumba drove us from Mokisa House behind Hotel Equatoria to a destination we didn't know. I was with another girl with whom I was recruited in Makindi the previous week. We were told our papers for traveling would be ready anytime and so warned us that we were not returning home. Mutumba drove us through town and towards Kulambiro. It was hard not to imagine the worst. What if we were being kidnapped? What if we were being set up for gang raping? I texted my editor about the developments to be on standby for SOS. I asked him to keep checking on me. We arrived in Kulambido Tuba Trading Center and stopped at a hostel which didn't have a name. There was no recruitment agency signpost. Inside the gate were many girls which relieved me of my fears. I later found we were about 140 registered inmates of a storied house built for a residential. It was occupying one corner of a 50 by 100 plot and the rest of the compound was paved. Keeping so many girls in such a squeezed place was utter criminal. Upstairs, the house had a master bedroom and two other bedrooms, all self-contained and a store. all were used as dormitories except one room which was the matron's residence cum store the other two bedrooms acted as offices during the day one was the boss's office and the other for the rest of his staff on the ground floor what was supposed to be a dining kitchen store seating room garage and lower bedroom were all dormitories those who came earlier slept on a few deckers but the rest were on the floor in the corridors and also on the verandas and balcony they would shift inside if it rained all these 140 girls shared five restrooms which were not enough many would bathe from outside But still the hygiene was difficult with so many girls. Some would bathe and leave herbs and greeny stuff in bathrooms. Others menstrual blood. Girls were using only two latrine spaces and one bathroom. They were not allowed to use toilets in the house. They belonged to only Arabs. 
Yet, Tuba police was about 100 meters away. I was even told the local leaders knew about the place and could be compromised. Otherwise, there was no way one can gather 140 girls in one squeezed place without attracting attention. We found the girls having posho and beans for lunch while seated on the veranda. Majority were old, approximately 25 to 40 years old. They gazed at us in a suspicious way, and no one bothered to greet us. Mutumba led us upstairs to an office where three Arabs were. Their leader, Ahmed, happened to be the owner of the recruitment company. He greeted us warmly and asked us whether we had made up our mind to work in Saudi as housemaids. He took a pretended big sign of relief when we answered in the affirmative. He asked us to trust him and his company since he was an Arab in Uganda and not a conman. He said he had plenty of job offers in Saudi for us. He also promised to get us good bosses who would treat us well. He explained that whenever there is a problem, it is usually a fault of the girls who fail to work. Some of them escape to different homes, others are lazy, and others steal from their bosses. How do you blame their bosses? Such girls will be banned for five years from working in any of the Gulf state countries. He then gave us contracts to read and left us. The hostel was like a girls' school, only without teachers or leaders. Girls were in groups of friends, making it difficult for us to penetrate any. It came to 6 p.m. and no one had told us what to do or where to go. We did not know anyone. No one seemed friendly. We were hungry too. Peeping through a window in Ahmed's office, I could see a group cooking fish and matoke. I approached them for some and they boldly refused. Together with my newcomer, we went to the compound. I found two girls who said one was from Isingiro and another, Bosoga. We became friends. Each had a story of how they got there and their expectations. Dinner was ready at 8 p.m. We were not invited. We only saw girls with plates lining up. We were given plastic plates. I must say smelly and broken and told to line up too. It was rice and beans. Waterly beans and rice you can easily mistake for posho. Another group of girls was having chips and chicken with seeping on local warage they allegedly sent through the gatekeeper. There were no forks or spoons and no water for washing hands or even drinking. I just ate. The food didn't disappoint me. It was as terrible as it looked. I had no choice. My last meal had been breakfast at 6 a.m. No one gave us a hint on where to sleep. The girls we asked referred us to Matron Harriet. She was surprised to see us and blamed our agent, Richard, for not telling her on time. She said the only solution was to wait for everyone to sleep so she can identify mattresses and free space. She then warned us against bringing food, waraji, and men from outside or moving outside of the hostel without permission. On return, we found girls sipping waraji from mineral water bottle. Eventually, we aggressively placed 
but there was only one mattress, which we decided to share. There was no water to bathe. I begged one of the girls who gave me a little in a cut piece of a jerrycan, enough to wash one part of the body. I am not sure if the water was clean. She had used the same water. The talk at the hostel was deflating. We were being deceived about flying out any time. There were girls who had been there for a month. We were also told that we had to be aggressive to get anything at the hostel. Being fearful or ladylike would cost us everything. The mattress was smelling either fish or something similar to that. Girls too were smelling sweat and other odors. No wonder water to bathe was scarce. We were then given a bedsheet to cover ourselves for the night. Tank would only be opened at 5 a.m. and closed immediately for the cooks. We would wake up by that time and fight for the available water. We would literally shower once a day. We were also cooking by ourselves in chosen groups. I discovered that the majority of girls were Bakonjo from Kasese. These were followed by Basoga and then Baganda. In the night, we would jump over each other to go for short calls. The place had two commanders who would sleep at the entrance of the living room. They were bullies who would tease newcomers and weaklings. Every girl feared them. Their word was always finer. Even the matron and some of the staff feared them. They summoned me that evening and asked me what a good-looking girl like me was doing amongst the broke ones. Didn't I have private parts to use to attract money onto myself? I gave them 5000 shillings each to keep peace and made them my friends. In the morning, the matron woke us up as early as 6 a.m. to clean up. Those sleeping in offices had to vacate and organize it into a suitable premise to receive staff and new visitors. That morning, I was called to the office by Christine and Leira to fill in a form. I was also supposed to record a video and so was given a long dress and veil to put on. Leira recorded my picture, took my details of age, marital status, whether I had children and whether I had ever worked abroad as a domestic worker. I returned to gather my findings about the place and the program. The place was hot and there was one tank we were told was for drinking water. The second tank was for bathing water and there were fights over accessing water from there. We fought for water, fought for bathroom, fought for the toilet and for everything. In fact, we were instructed to shower in pairs. So, to have it easy, you needed to abandon all assumed femininity and become aggressive. Hygiene was horrible. It was dirty in all corners with leftovers, coveras, used pads and plastics thrown all over, including the kitchen which was next to the toilet and bathroom. Girls urinated anywhere and everywhere and the whole place was stinking. I called my supervisor thinking I had a big story to bust this illegal and unhygienic encampment. But after a small chat, 
I realized the biggest story was to stay and dig out more. Little did I know that the stay would be long, very long. I arrived on the 16th of August 2021 and the first group of 49 to leave for Saudi went on October 10th, almost two months after I joined the group. The second group of 31 left on October 15th and the third group of 50 on November 9th. I wasn't one of them. I will tell you why. I stayed nevertheless, suffering as if I was in prison. For the next one month, new faces would join on a daily basis but no girl was taken for jail. We would wake up, gossip, fight till another day. One of the ladies I found in the hostel was called Afswa. She was always in sorrow. She told me she had no passport and was always traveling to Ministry of Internal Affairs to meet her broker for it. She claimed she had paid him money to get it for her so fast. This fat lady in her early 40s told me she was brought by her agent who promised to get her a passport while in the hostel. With teary eyes, she narrated how she left her village in Mitiana. She used to own a restaurant in Mitiana town as a source of income before COVID-19 broke out. During the lockdown, she lost customers. She's a mother of three children with her firstborn joining the university. Her husband got mental illness as she was pregnant with her third child, who is now 5 years. This while, she has been the father and the mother supported by her restaurant. She recalls her landlord throwing her out due to rent arrears. As desperate as she was, that's how the idea of going to Cheo came in. She agreed with her children and some of her relatives. She then left her children in the hands of her paternal auntie and decided to go for work as a housemaid in Saudi. By the time I joined, she had spent about 2 weeks at the hostel. After many efforts to get a passport and investing a lot of money for it in vain, she was told it was hard for her to get it because she had a nationality connected with Rwanda. She cried throughout the night asking where else to go. She said she had no way she would explain to her children and relatives who know she was going to make money for their survival. Unnoticed, she left the premises. She never said bye. It was hard to notice except for those who had piqued interest. The matron, the Arabs, their secretaries, or our two commanders would never know who has left until they need and ask for a girl and she isn't available anymore. The only gatekeeping girls there was the hope that they would be called to prepare to leave any time. that meant the rowdy ones could stray out at night that was to land us into trouble shortly tomorrow chaos as girls are evicted <laughs>